It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Happy New Year, everyone. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we've once again got a full house. That means leading the line around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we spoke in 2020? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Dan. You know, had a nice break and everything like that, you know, back to it now. Um, but we have had some decent amount of football, haven't we, to keep us going. Um, some some good games, some good decisions. And I'm sure looking forward to going over them with you guys this afternoon. Absolutely. And that also means you're joined by Fulham fan Matthew. Matthew, I hope all is well and a happy new year to you. Yes, indeed, a happy new year to you. I wish I had as much football to talk about as Carl, but there's been no. some problems on the on the Fulham front in terms of playing games. So hopefully, there's enough uh, stories and enough stuff to discuss um, from all from all the rest of the league to talk about. Yes, you're right, but I do want to get your take on Fulham later. So it's in the notes, so we will chat about all things COVID protocol and the lack of games for you. But before we do, I'll do the social media bits first. Otherwise, I'll be talking into the abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy, 1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. Although it's becoming so well stocked now, is it really elite? Because we hit 600 shareholders. The next target is the big 1,000. So... You can also find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Audio Boom and Spotify. I shouldn't forget that one as well. And the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's go to the top of the table and whether teams are actually... First and second, or joint top, can be argued all day. However, Cole, Liverpool's Christmas stutter has really opened the door to a whole host of teams. And on the evidence of last night, it could be anyone's year. 
Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, we could be looking at another season like the Leicester one, couldn't we? Where, you know, every, you know, lots of teams are stuttering. No one's been what I'd call really consistent. Um, I think possibly a couple of weeks ago, we kind of got the impression Liverpool were hitting a groove and could then, you know, if they really did hit their groove again, possibly run away with it. But the last few results they've had have kind of showed that it's not going to be that simple and they, they may not be about to blow the league away. Um, and as we've said, you know, lots of teams are just stumbling, you know, that can win one, but then go and lose two, win two, you know, draw one. Um, so I think we're going to have a really open title race this year. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking that United could be in crisis, couldn't we? And, you know, Oli was going to be out the door. Um, and where did they go? And all of a sudden they're, you know, joint top as you know we like to say even on goal difference um so it's just really funny how things can turn around you know for me i think we're going to find a season that if you can find one team that kind of can get some level of consistency going that's going to put them in a really good position to kind of you know push on in this title race um i think we are going to see a season as i say where you know those kind of top three and four change around quite often so it could be an interesting season we're about to have is he there and matthew we often speak about liverpool's defensive issues and the need to restock at the back but at the same time do we now need to focus on their front three because has jürgen klopp got so much out of them in the past couple of seasons that their collective tanks are now starting to run on empty yeah, I think I think that's the case, and we we've sort of talked about this uh, a couple of times this season, whether or not the burnout factor and how much that's gonna that's gonna take a toll on them, um, because as I you know, as I've said, you know, when Jurgen Klopp first took over, and you know, players were getting used to his style of play, we saw a lot of hamstring injuries and whatever, they got used to it, and now in this congested you know, past two seasons, if in effect, the the injuries and everything is probably starting to starting to crop up again. But I would just I would just like to say there is probably some level of the defence on there as well, because when you've got to play the likes of Jordan Henderson and Fabinho as your as your defensive as your defensive uh, partnership, then that probably is taking away some level of level of you know creativity and you know what the players are used to further up the field. You know it's not quite the same when you're having to put the likes of Oxlade Chamberlain, who is a fine player. But Liverpool have got used to, you know, the front three and then Henderson and Wijnaldum, you know, doing all the doing all the creativity, as it were. When you bring them back and you force them to play centre-back, you're taking some of that away. So I think some of it does still stem from the fact they're having, um, they're having defensive problems and that's just taking its toll on what's going on further up the pitch. You probably do need to think about maybe adding another option to their bounty of options. You know, they've got Hotter on the bench. I'm sure they'll be fine. But maybe just that one other person if you want to go down that road. Yeah, that's a very good point. When you look at the change of personnel across the team, it's not allowing the front three to be as effective. Max, you're late out of the dressing room. So firstly, a happy new year to you, mate. Yeah, thanks very much. Happy new year. Cheers, mate. So your first question about Liverpool in the sense that we're arguing about their front three. Could you make the same point about the right back being emptied in terms of his tank. Trent Alexander-Arnold has had two great seasons before this one. He isn't quite there this time around. So it's not to say he's playing badly, but when he set the bar so high himself, when you compare him to even the left-hand side of the pitch with Andy Robertson, why is he not quite there on the right? Yeah, it's a bit of a tricky question um, because the the point about there being a bit of a lack of cover and obviously there is a, a bit of a drop-off beneath... Um, beneath Trent to, to, to the youngster Neko Williams. But then that's also the case on the left-hand side with Kostas Tsimikas, who um, Klopp signed this summer to be back up to Robertson. And I don't think he's appeared in the Premier League yet. If he has, it's been kind of very cursory appearances. 
Um, and also the, the fact he has a very marauding style of play. So he's constantly up and down the right touchline. That's also the case for Robertson. So, I mean, definitely the, the, the backup issue and then him not having uh, a kind of an able deputy he can trust. I take that point a little bit. I also take the point that he's doing a lot of hard yards up and down the whole flank, you know, patrolling um, patrolling the whole right right touchline while, while Salah cuts inside. But both of those... Um, both of those factors are also shared by Robertson, who seems to have um, a, a much better season. Maybe it's just a, a lack of confidence, but I mean, definitely across the board, Liverpool did look a little bit, um, a little bit lacklustre, a little bit jaded. And you know, everyone, everyone, all the all the teams in the league have had really congested schedules. But I think Liverpool playing on you know the European fronts, and obviously they've got the domestic cups coming up as well. I think it could really hamper them um, now over the the next period of games. So, Cole, a lot of focus will be obviously on Liverpool going cold over the past week or so, but that won't give Southampton the credit that they deserve from last night. So, visible tears from Ralph at the very end. Now, we don't usually see such an outpouring of emotion in the league game. Maybe like a potch in a Champions League semi-final, that kind of thing. But what do you put such emotion down to last night? Yeah, I kind of guess, you know, you can probably take that back to the, you know, the Leicester game, can't you? Where, you know, uh, we were kind of talking about um, Southampton and Hassan Hootall and the fact that, you know, he was only a game or so away from, you know, we thought dead cert for being, his neck was on the block and he was going to be out the door. Um, Since then, they've had a miraculous turnaround, haven't they? I mean, they've probably been one of the best sides in the league in their turnaround since then. They're now a side that no one fancies playing because they play some good football. Um, You know, they've got players like Ward Prowse, who's deadly at set pieces. They're looking solid. You know, they haven't conceded now in their last three. Um, So defensively, they look solid. You've got Ings up front scoring goals. So they've suddenly become a side that, you know, when you know you've got to play South Hampton, you're thinking this is not an easy game and I guess last night was probably just that you know an accumulation of thinking we've beaten possibly the best team in Europe and in the Premier League um, and I think it just goes to show the progress that that club have made in in a relatively short time and I'm only assuming that that was what you were seeing there for, from him at the end of that game that just emotion of being from where they were to where they are now and the fact that they can get results against a side like Liverpool Paul um, and where they are in the table and, and the job that's been done so maybe that was what it was but you know full credit to him um, I think you've got to give it to him because as I say the turnaround there has been brilliant um, and they're a good side to watch and, and you wouldn't put it past them at the moment staying up there and being in with a shout of possibly you know who knows even top four but definitely the Europa League. Well Matthew a lot of focus always goes on Danny Ings and James Ward-Prowse so let's take it back to the back line. They conceded 19 goals this season so far. And if you remove five against Tottenham as the outlier in all of this, it's now less than a goal a game conceded. So where has this strength come from all of a sudden? Um, that's a very good question because there's been there's been some levels of chopping and changing. Because I know the goalkeeper as well for the Liverpool game was Alex McCarthy. He's like their third choice, I think, because the other two had to go through COVID or something. So I know there's been a lot of chopping and changes. I think arguably some of it just has to come down to down to Hassan Hussel himself being a decent coach, you know, I, I, you know, you want to put some level on, you know, on the defenders who have who have been outstanding, but at the at the same time, now that Hassan Hussel has had all this time to get everything the way he wanted to be done, then 
you know, sim- no similar to as we talked about Klopp, give it some time and eventually it'll, it'll pay dividends. So I think that's probably the, the key outlier in all of this. I think the next problem is probably going to be, though, managing to keep hold of those players because we know, you know, talking about Liverpool, we know that they've been very... Um, They've been very handy in trying to get rid of Southampton's players in the past couple of years. So that's probably something going to be coming down the line. I imagine Vestergaard will be wanted by some teams. Um, For instance, Carl Walker-Peters as well, probably in there as well. So, yeah, I think it's probably a combination of decent player. But I think most of the credit needs to go to the coaching. Well, Max, Carl Walker-Peters just mentioned there. He's a player that caught my eye last night. And so many people across the course of the season thus far, have heralded Heuberg as a massive signing for Tottenham. But they've almost forgotten that it was part of a swap deal. So when you look at his performances, that is Walker-Peters, Southampton haven't done too bad out of that deal either, have they? Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Both teams have, I think, done, uh, d- done very well and they're both happy with it, which is why they obviously both went ahead. Southampton got someone off their books who, who kind of didn't want to be there or at least had ambitions to, to, to play at maybe a, a higher level. Um, although, you know, it's debatable whether Tottenham are playing at a higher level than Southampton. I don't know what the Premier League table looks like, but I imagine it's uh, it's pretty close and, and both teams are playing really well at the moment. Obviously, Tottenham got the benefit of um, someone of Hoybjerg's abilities, but then they also got Kyle Walker-Peters coming the other way. And they've kind of had a bit of a, a bit of a gap at right back in the last couple of seasons. Southampton, kind of Cedric was really good three or four years ago, but then kind of drifted out of favour and then came back before his eventual move to Arsenal. They tried Kane Ramsey, they tried Jan Valery, who both seem to have been uh, frozen out now because Walker-Peters has been a real um, a real revelation for, for Southampton uh, at right-back. And he actually played for Spurs against Palace in the FA Cup last season, I think. And um, I remember Zaha giving him a torrid time and Walker-Peters gave away a penalty for handball. And I was thinking there's a reason why Spurs have let this guy go out on loan, but he's showing the kind of form um, that, I mean, arguably he's a better out and out right back in a back four than Aurier and Doherty Um, in a back five. Then you probably back Doherty at right wing back, but he's showing really, really good form and obviously the talents there. um, And yeah, he's, he's playing really well for them, but yeah, I'd like to talk about the whole Southampton team because they're, they're just really top class. They're, they're, they're so well drilled. They each know their roles to absolute perfection um, and yeah, the, Klopp's comments after the game, um, I wasn't a, I wasn't a big fan of because Southampton were very good. I mean, obviously Klopp is just um, he's just kind of deflecting away from the fact that his side barely created anything at all, and he wants the focus to be on uh, on his comments rather than on their performance. But yeah, let's look at the Liverpool performance. It wasn't good enough. Let's look at the Southampton performance. It was excellent. Okay, so let's focus now on the team that are running Liverpool the closest at the moment. And Carl. If we collectively here were to suggest that Man United would be genuine contenders even a month ago, we would have sounded absolutely mad, wouldn't we? Yeah, it's right. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing, isn't it? The turnaround is unreal because, you know, we're staring down the barrel, weren't we? Of, you know, everyone wanted Ollie out, um, you know, couldn't see the direction the club was going. Um, and as you say, you know, a month later, they're joint top, you know, on goal difference and suddenly things are looking rosy again aren't they and and everyone's happy and United fans are thinking that they're in a title race um I guess as we say the the biggest key thing here will be consistency now and whether United can kind of keep that consistency play well enough to keep themselves within that title race but I don't see why not you know when you look at all those top four and those teams I think they've got just as good a chance of doing that as anyone I think defensively is still where they might come undone. Um, you know, 
Maguire's great at just heading the ball out, but you still question the fullbacks. And obviously, I still think United need another centre-half, top-level centre-half to go alongside Maguire, who might have a little bit more pace. So, again, if they can keep it going, going forward, they've got no problems. You know, the, the talent they've got in attack, they'll always be dangerous. It's just whether they can keep that defensive consistency that keeps them in this title race. But you say we certainly wouldn't have seen them where they are right now. But as this season has shown us, give it another three weeks and we might be back to being United are in crisis again. Well, this is it. The boom and bust cycle is quite vicious this season, Matthew. So it's obviously going right for Ollie at the moment. Is it as simple as just staying unbeaten? Because they've got the longest current run in the division at 10. When you consider that no other team at the moment is really posting anything dangerous in terms of consistency, is that the simple difference that we've got at the moment? That probably is, and that's why I'm not going to get all excited about Man United in the title race. You know, the whole cycle of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there's a reason it's become a meme, and that's because it happens on a regular basis. <laughs> so I'm not so I'm not going to say, you know, Man United are in the title race or anything like that, because we know in a couple of weeks' time, the cycle is going to go the other way and there's going to be some bad results. I mean, all credit to I mean, if he manages to stop the cycle, all credit to him, well done him. But, yeah, I'm not going to be calling Man United title challenges just yet. Let's leave it about March. But, but but back to the point, I think that's probably, you know, a good, a decent, you know, standing to put yourself on. If you can stay unbeaten, if, you know, whilst all the other teams at the top are, are dropping points like flies, you know, I don't think we expect, you know, I don't think many of us expected, you know, Southampton to beat Liverpool, for instance, or... Or Arsenal to or Arsenal to go and beat Chelsea. So I don't think any of us would have expected that. So all those results at the top are helping Manchester United. Max, with that in mind, if the situation has changed so so positive for United, what is now missing for them to make the most difficult leap of all, and that of course is winning the league title? Or does the current run suggest that all the building blocks are actually in place? Um, I th- yeah, I think they've definitely got the capability of winning it. It's just it's just about the consistency, and it's one of the hardest things in football to turn up every single week and you know even if your performance might dip a little bit um or you know throughout injuries throughout suspensions throughout the festive period and and then the manic fixture list that that entails it's just producing the same thing every week and i think the real um the real criticism with united is that they are so good when they're when they're good but they're so bad when they're bad and you need they really really need to start um, churning out performances that even if they don't really turn up on the day, they still play six or seven out of ten and do kind of just enough to to, to win the game uh, by a goal or you know make sure they grind out a scrappy victory. Whereas when United don't turn up, it just it's just completely chaotic and they go to pot and they lose by seven goals or whatever to <laughs> to Spurs. Um, so they they just need to start churning out that consistency. But um, even if they don't sign anyone in January, I think they they have got the building blocks of their squad. Cavani um, has obviously ha- had a, had a ban for the, for his post, um, his social media post, but he's coming back. He'll add a, a, another dimension, a kind of a rotation option. Ahmad Diallo is joining um, from Atalanta in in January as well. Now, obviously, we don't know what kind of instant impact he's going to have. I don't think he's going to you know win them the title, but he could be an extra option off the bench. Um, particularly given Greenwood hasn't played so much this season and Dan James seems to be out of favour. So I definitely think they've got the players there. It's just, um, I think they just need to get maybe the, the, the last the last 10 or 20% um, of really building a strong mentality and making sure that even if they don't play brilliantly on the day, that they don't capitulate, that they um, stay strong and learn how to grind out the victories. 
Of course, Cole, when we're talking about Manchester clubs, we cannot rule out Man City now because they have got no defeat in seven. And you get the feeling the light blue beast is just starting to awake from its early season slumber. Yeah, you do, don't you? And, you know, I felt they were really impressive against Chelsea the other night. You know, after the first sort of five or ten minutes, um, they took over the game. And, and at one point, you know, in that first half, it, it was men v boys football. You know, Chelsea couldn't get near them. Um, City were just, you know, head and shoulders above them. The football was really smart and sharp. Um, and, and they looked back to that old um, Man City that you kind of feared because you just thought, wow, look at this team going forward and, and that is still without what I'd say a real top striker that I think they still need to look at in January because I do think in City's situation that's going to be the one thing that could hold them back and stop them maybe you know pushing for the title and even winning it you know they lack that key centre forward who might score enough goals to get them over the line but other than that they've been looking really good you know John Stones has been playing quite well recently um, De Bruyne is class you know even last night playing in a more sort of attacking role he was still running the show and they just look really good um, again I think for them it's going to be consistency isn't it you know especially at the back because we all know that they can have those games where they've played like they have recently, but then in the next game they'll turn up and suddenly the defenders, you know, Carl Walker and people like that, suddenly do something really stupid that costs them a game. Um, and it's just whether, I think like we're saying with Man United, if they can keep that concentration and cut that out and stay consistent, then I think they'll, you know, they've got all the tools to kind of push it if they buy a striker. I don't think, you know, if they don't buy a real key recognised striker, then I think that's what's going to hold them back because I don't think Aguero will come back the same player. And, you know, I've, I've said before, I don't think, you know, Jesus is going to be someone that they can rely on to run the line and score them the goals they need. Matthew, with the transfer window now open, it is silly time of year really, isn't it? Because we've discussed Haaland being linked with a move to the Etihad, but last week, Harry Kane was linked with that same move. A move north for a fee of £100 million. Now, what do you make of that one? Uh... Not going to happen. I just, I just can't, I just can't see it happening. I, I don't. If it were any other forward or any other striker, if it weren't Harry Kane, I'd say, yep, yeah, there's a chance that whoever ex-chairman is would say, yeah, let's just let's get this deal done, 100 million, especially in a window and in a year where clubs aren't making money because of the lack of fans in stadiums, they will take anything like that. But it's the Harry Kane factor. It's the one of our own factor. That's probably the one thing that's making me just a little doubt. Like if if he was offering a hundred million for Delhi Ali, say, I'd say, yeah, that's probably going to happen. Levy will accept it. If it was a hundred million for even Son, for instance, I'd say, yeah, that's going to happen. But the fact it's Harry Kane, I just can't see that happening again. Levy may say yes. Tottenham may say yes. Man City will obviously say yes. I don't see Harry Kane agreeing to that just yet. I know there's always there's always been talk about whether or not he'll want to leave in order to win trophies, but I just think given that they are you know still competing on four fronts, you know as we record tonight they're going up against Championship side Hounslow Town in the, <laughs> uh, in the Carabao Cup uh, semi final. So hopefully get that. That's a game at Wembley. Hopefully win the League Cup. I think now is probably the wrong time because I think this is the year probably the testing year for can I win something at Spurs because they are you know, as I said in the semi-finals easy game in the first round of the FA Cup relatively in a in a 
relatively without side shot at the league title. Not not 100% gone, but still in there. And Europa League, I'd expect them to do well in that as well. So maybe in the summer, certainly not now. OK, Max, on the evidence of City's performance on Sunday and Kevin De Bruyne, they might not need another forward because him playing that false nine role, he had Chelsea on strings. Now, they can't rely on him to do that every week because Chelsea were that bad. But it does at least sort of ease the fears in the short term. Um, yeah, potentially. that They have got um, a kind of number of versatile players who can play there. We've seen uh, Sterling do it. We've seen Ferran Torres do it. He's been quite good, actually. He's been playing up front a lot in Europe for them. And, and obviously, we saw De Bruyne as a kind of false nine playing, playing as a central striker as well. And actually, Pep um, really talked up his performance after the game. Um, but um, that, that might just be him praising KDB as the unbelievable player he is rather than kind of indicating he's going to be playing at striker for a lot longer. I think it's, it's what you said. It is, it's a short-term measure. And it's definitely good that they have the option to use some of their midfielders there, um, you know, as, as needs must, um, with, with Aguero and Jesus both, both, both kind of out at the moment. But I really think that long-term, they have to solve that. You can't look at a kind of a couple of solitary performances from Sterling or Torres or KDB against um, a pretty a pretty dour um, and, and, and shockingly bad Chelsea defence in that game um, and then say, right, we don't need to sign a striker because Aguero, as much as he's been an unbelievable striker, such a good finisher, maybe the best the Premier League's ever seen, um, historically, he's obviously injured. It's going to take him a long time to to come back from it. Jesus um, hasn't quite done it. I know he's struggled with injuries this season as well, but between them, those two have only scored two Premier League goals so far this season. That is not enough. Um, if you've only got two strikers in your squad and they've scored two Premier League goals in January, by January, you know, between them, it's not really good enough. And obviously, uh, you lose De Bruyne playing in midfield. You use him as a kind of playmaker and creative force a little bit if he's playing up front, as you do with um, if you play Sterling or Torres up front. So I really think they need to solve that. To be honest, I think they'll solve it in the summer. I think the calibre of name that they'll need is not a name they can get this month. I just don't think the sort of the jigsaw pieces can be moved around in Europe. However, if City were to win the league title this year, and of course you can't rule them out due to their position, it might arguably be Pep's greatest bit of coaching. Because to do so with no real striker on all cylinders might be quite, you know, easier or harder, shall we say, than sort of picking 11 usual names that do the business. But, of course, that's conjecture. And they, whether they win the league or not, we'll have to wait and see. One team, though, Carl, that is looking unlikely to win the league is Chelsea. And you mentioned it was men versus boys on Sunday. But with the amount of money that Frank has spent over the summer, is the pressure now starting to mount on his shoulders? Yeah, I, you know, I think it will be. And, you know, I think it, the same, as Roy Keane said, didn't he, after that game, you know, it, it's in Chelsea's DNA that they, they don't kind of hang around with managerial appointments. You know, if it's not working, Abramovich has shown he's not shy to make a change and suddenly do what he needs to to, to bring in someone that he thinks can change that around. Um, I think Frank was brought in with a longer-term view um, as, as to what they were going to try and do and the direction they were going to go in. And obviously, Last season, he got the plaudits for doing that with a relatively young side and bringing players in. Um, but when you kind of bring the quality in that you have in the summer and spent the money that you have, then there is an expectation that results come with that. Um, and Chelsea this season have just been really hit and miss. You know, I think, you know, their results against the top six show that they're not where they want to be. Um, yes, we know they can kind of mayo 
give the lesser sides a bit of a beating um, on their day. But that's not going to cut it, I'm afraid. You know, they want to be making sure that when they come up against the top six, they're getting the results they need to. Um, so I think, I, you know, I, I can't see Chelsea doing anything in terms of getting rid of Frank just yet. But I think if the games go on, if the form doesn't pick up and they don't see the performances pick up, then I think as the season goes on, there will be more pressure. And whether he's in the hot seat next season, I think that will be remain to be seen. But Chelsea definitely need to do something. You know, they, they have brought players in that we know may take a little while to adjust. Um, but unfortunately, fans and boards often, you know, when you've spent large chunks of money, the patients can run can run very thin very quickly. Um, and as I say, that performance the other night, that, that was a worrying performance, especially at home, um, because you would have felt they should have given City a real, a real good game. And to be so far off the pace, I think that does ring alarm bells for where they are. Um, so... I think Frank has got to turn that around quite quickly and get some good positive results on the board. But again, if you look at the league table, you know, they're lying ninth right now, but they're on 26 points and the same as Man United. They could win the next two or three on the bounce and before you know it, they're in second place and suddenly people are talking about them as being this side that could go on a run and win the title. So it's a real topsy-turvy season, but I think the form will worry Frank and he'll need to do something quick to turn that round. Yeah, as you say, in terms of their placing, I don't think we can really use the current league table or any sort of point at the moment as an actual reference of how good a team is. I think if we look at points, then you have to sort of measure it in, well, two wins, they're back in the top four, they're back in the top race, two defeats, they're even lower down. So I think if, if people get hung up too much on we're third, we're seventh, we're ninth, it distorts it ever so slightly. But with that said, Matthew, if you're Frank Lampard and you've got pretty much every toy in the shop already, can you go back to Uncle Roman for some late gifts this month? And if he does, does that ratchet up the stakes even further? Yeah, it's a pretty big gamble on that front because you're basically because you're basically if you're Frank Lampard and in that situation you're basically saying right I need these players in order to do the job that you you want me to do, which given Chelsea's history is to challenge for Champions League titles to challenge for league titles to win basically every bit of silverware. So if you do go and buy someone in January, let's for the sake of argument, fifty million pounds. Or no, let's not pick, let's not pick any names out because again, as you said, it's going to be a difficult window to buy any sort of big names. But say they manage to get one big name, big name through the door. Actually, for the sake of argument, let's say they get Haaland in for a hundred million pounds from Dortmund to replace Tammy Abraham up front. Let's say that. Say he does that, and they still aren't good enough to get into the top four or make any series on any silverware. Then Roman Abramovich has the has the ability to say, right, I gave you what you asked for, and you still couldn't do it. Therefore. Yeah, no, therefore, I'm going to find someone, you know, bring someone else who I think can do it. So, Frank, sling your hook, effectively. So, it's a big gamble on that, friend. So, I don't know whether or not Frank Lampard would want to say, no, just give me more time to work with what I have. You've seen the improvement we made last year. I can do it again. But again, because if you say, right, let's you know, push all the coins to the table. Let's get that big, big, get that big signing and it doesn't work out. Then I'm going to get a big time manager. You know, you can work with players like that. Someone like Pochettino, but obviously he's gone to PSG, but obviously on that link, Thomas Tuchel I've seen has been linked. So maybe some what, a big name manager like that who can take us over the top now that we've got the players. So Max, in terms of that expenditure, there have been some high profile indifference. I won't go as far as flops because if you look at say Kai Havertz, the effects of long COVID, that's obviously going to 
be quite to his detriment. So it'd be unfair to say that he's been a complete bust. But Timo Werner doesn't get the same absolution because he's in danger of joining the quite large graveyard of big-name strikers that have flopped at Chelsea. So what is it about that team and that position? <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, it's a lot, it's a lot of pressure. But I, I think we might be a little bit... Um... We might be a little bit. Uh, it might be a little bit too soon to kind of consign him to the scrap heap of Matija Kesman and, and Adrian Mutu and, and Shevchenko and people like that. Um, definitely, with, with Havertz, you know the kind of the injury and fitness. He hasn't really had a run of starts in the team, um, but clearly with both of them, they've both got a lot of talent and they're come. They're coming from a, a differently. They're coming from abroad. The Premier League is generally seen as the the most physically demanding division and then you know it's obviously a, a squeezed season because of covid um they, they won't really be used to the the lack of the break um over winter and that kind of thing so look look that they're, they're they're young guys they're both in their early 20s i think it's i think it's a little bit early to to to, to be to, to be writing them off already basically um, i was talking about this with my dad this morning um you know how many players have come to the Premier League and struggled in their first season? Um, Thierry Henry for one, and I could go through probably a hundred more. Um, so definitely the, the the players that they signed, particularly Bayern Havertz from Germany, the kind of the the, the biggest profile ones and for the biggest um, uh, for the biggest fees, they've been signed for the future. And you know Lampard will have hoped that, he, that that both of them could have contributed in the present also, but they're both going to be you know, important players for Chelsea over the next five or 10 years. And they're both signings for the future. And it, I think the reason he's also got kind of experienced players like Giroud and Abraham and and, and, and Ziyech as well around them is that he knows that they're not going to just jump straight into a Chelsea team and play 50 games in a season and be unbelievable, um, you know, the year after they've moved. So it might be a little bit um, harsh to... To, to call them failures already. And if they have been failures, which is obviously a, a subjective thing, to, to direct that on on Frank, you know, to say, oh, well, um, you know, Frank's a poor manager, so that's the reason that Byrne has missed a couple of tap-ins. You know, obviously he's a bit low on confidence, but earlier in the season he went on a run of scoring a couple of goals and he looked really good. You know, his movement is good, his pressing is good, he's obviously quick, he's getting a lot of chances. Um, it's just not quite happening for him at the moment. I do understand that when fans and, you know, the chairman, when Roman Abramovich sees that they've that they've made a big outlay on players, you expect an instant return, right? You want the bang for your buck now, now that you've paid the bucks. But um, I think it's a little bit too early to judge them. They're both signings for the future. They're both obviously really talented and I'm sure they'll be really good uh, going forward. But whether uh, Lampard gets the luxury of that time, like Werner and Havertz will, you know, that, that remains to be seen. OK, let's now swing to the bottom of the table and here you can take a team each. So, Cole, you get Sheffield United... It's now no win in 20 league matches. Two points from the last 60 on offer. Chris Wilder still in a job and you almost are at the point now where you think, well, there's no point getting rid of him because what difference would it make? Yeah, I think, you know, but the way it's looking, you write Sheffield United off right now, couldn't you? You know, two points. Um, I, I think in, unless they have a dramatic turnaround, which we know they've done it before from this position. Um, so you, you could never say never, but... The way it's looking for them, I, I think they're going to face the drop. Um, but like as you say, I, I just 
I still think there's probably enough credit in the bank for for him to see the job out and maybe then obviously look to see the following season, you know, if they get off to a good start and it looks like they'll come, you know, back up again, then I think they'll stick with him. The, the only worry is, you know, has the magic worn off? Can he get anything out of these players now? And if they do go down and then they have a poor start, then you could see the axe being wielded pretty quickly there for him and and that time coming to an end, you know. And there can be periods of time where a manager just reaches that point where you can't take a club any further. Um, certainly didn't see this happening to them this season, you know, given what they achieved last season and the way they played football, you thought, well, this can be a team if they just add a few, that they'll be more than okay. Um, so what's happened this season there is a complete mystery, but I think he get, I, I think they keep him in that job, um, but they'll want to see a dramatic turnaround should they go down and unless they're kind of top and looking like they're on fire and certains for return, then I think you'll see him gone pretty quickly next season. So, Matthew, you get Fulham, unsurprisingly. Not a lot of action at your end, as you said earlier in the show. So, with your ear to the ground, what has been the whole situation with COVID in terms of protocol and just how much of a sweeping effect has it had in terms of player availability? Um, basically, the, the thing is, we don't know who was the one player because it started off with you know one or two players getting it. Now, it seems, I think, what, up to eight or nine, I think, was the last... Wow. Last time I saw it, again, I can't remember if this was before the Spurs game or before the Burnley game, or because everything, all the games is matching into one at this point, <laughs> yeah. uh, at this point of the year. Um, but in, but in, within that quick turnaround time, um, personally, I've been this, I've been of the view, and I've had this basically since my NFL team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, were affected by this. I don't care if it, if it's on one team that has the problems, it's up to them to solve it or forfeit the game, because I don't think in this kind of in this season why another team in this instance Spurs um, should have to be punished by having to play us when we're all fit and healthy when you guys are in the middle of you know at, of a Europa of a Europa League run or whatever having to play Sunday Tuesday Thursday Sunday sort of thing I don't think Spurs should be punished on that front and and I stick by that I stick by that logic even if even if it comes down to my own team I think so if we can't have 14 fit players, then I think personally that's down to us as that I think that's down to us as a club for failing to, you know, manage and control it. You know, one or two players get it, fine, you push them into isolation, you keep the rest of the thing. If it then spreads throughout the team, you as a club, in my view, have failed to keep to keep it under wraps and keep it under control. And as such, are causing you know changes to Spurs' schedule and Bernie's schedule as a result, and so on and so forth. Maybe even QPR in the FA Cup this weekend. So personally, I think the game should have been forfeited, given to Spurs and Burnley. I think that's you know, that's on us for not failing to no for not failing to control anything. So what happens from now on? We'll just have to wait and see whether or not it affects any more games. But that's my view. I mean. On the plus side, we do get a bit of rest because considering our next game is QPR in the Cup, we'll probably rest some players then. And then the next two games afterwards are Manchester United and Chelsea. We need as much you know run-up time as we can get. So it gives us one positive, but I don't want to be... you know I, I want to maintain the same view, as it were. So I think Fulham have effectively got away with it for a large part for what we've we've done to the Premier League season as if we're cancelling the whole thing but we have messed things up a little bit so I think we have got off very very lightly it's a very good point you raise actually because in Scotland if you are 
the reason behind a COVID-based postponement, you lose the game. The other team gets the three points. I think Motherwell benefited twice, but that's actually gone to appeal. But the process is there. That Let's take that example in the Premier League, that if Fulham did what they did, Spurs would then get three points and I think a generic 3-0 win. So it's interesting to see that one idea is being applied north of the border, not the same down south. But we haven't really got time to dig deeper, but it's a one that might crop up again, unfortunately, somewhere in the next few weeks. So hold on to that one for now. But Max, you get West Brom, because on the evidence of their last two performances, that job might just be a little bit too difficult for Big Sam. Can he turn the ship around after two defensive horror shows? Yeah, it was pretty poor, wasn't it? It was pretty poor. Um, basically, <laughs> after the Liverpool uh, draw, which a very creditable Liverpool draw, which was built on a very kind of seemingly strong and organised and committed defence. Um, a lot of people, including me, said, well, you know, that that's a good that's a good sign. That's an auspicious sign. It shows that they might be able to have the kind of defensive grit that they need to stay up. And then they've obviously suffered in the in the two games since then. I think obviously they're very low on confidence. Um, they're relying on players who probably aren't Premier League standards. Um maybe yet in the case of, for example, Daro Shea, the young defender. He looks a good prospect, but being thrown into a, a, a relegation-threatened side and playing every week in the Premier League is maybe a little bit early for him. And you can say the same of, of a couple of other players in their team. Darnell Furlong looks good, but he's also a little bit raw, a little bit green. Um, I, th I think they just need a, a, couple of, uh, a couple of players. And I think it might be a little bit easier to judge to judge them in kind of maybe February, March, when they've maybe signed a defender, a midfielder, a forward. Colin Grant's got injured as well, and he's their only real lone striker in their one-striker system. Um, so I'll give them a month or two to to kind of get a few new, new players and have them bed in a little bit. The trouble is, is that by that point, they might be too far gone. Um, but I think in the Liverpool draw, they did show enough. Uh, it's just they're obviously very, very low on confidence and that can really affect you with defending. I saw that particularly in the Palace game when they were competing pretty well and it was 1-1 when they got the red card. Um, and, you know, talk about whether it was controversial or not, but they went a man down and they really struggled and they kind of capitulated and um, and rolled over and then we scored four goals in the second half or something like that. So... They, they need they really need to work on that um on that attitude a little bit um but yeah confidence is low get them some new players and see, and see how they're doing in a month well there's no logic to their results is there really because they draw away at liverpool and man city and then they concede nine goals in two matches to leeds and arsenal so yes a big headache for big sam there's no doubt about that but as you say is the quality of players there enough is there too much work to be done time will tell let's now look at the teams hovering above the uh, bottom three, and Cole, you get Burnley, because they've been taken over by American owners. Now, if there's one thing for Sean Dyche, it's always been a chronic lack of investment and the miracle that he does thereafter. So hopefully that situation will now ease, but I want to talk about the boardroom rather than the playing field, because with American owners, does their voting stance now change to be more in tune with bigger clubs, because they're now part of that group? Yeah, this will be the real interesting thing to see where they want to go, wasn't it? And what the, what their ambition is, um, because as you've said, you know, one of the key things is, is Daesh has been kind of running that on a, on a shoestring uh, and performing miraculous results. Now, if they come in and they want to really splash some cash and have got ambitions to get Burnley, you know, back into the Europa League and back up their challenging then, you know, they could see some money spent and, and Daesh gets a chance to go out and improve that squad the way that, you know, he'd need to to get them back up there. Um, 
you know, excuse me, if they've come in with the view that they just want to kind of keep the ship steady, you know, see the money that comes in from being part of the Premier League, then again, you're looking at the club that, you know, yes, they might make more transfers, but if they're not going to spend much more than they already have, are they just going to steady the ship and maybe become a mid-table side? So I think when we actually see and they show their hand as to where they want to go and what their ambitions are, then I think we'll really get a good picture uh, of what's going to happen at Burnley. And then obviously, you know, comes another challenge for Dyche then, doesn't he? When suddenly, when you've now got money to spend, um, can you bring in the sort of players and then keep it all going? Because we've seen in the past, haven't we? Some managers are great when they're working on a shoestring and suddenly when they've got money to spend, they go out and, you know, like a kid in a candy shop, sometimes they just go and buy everything they see and it doesn't always work. Um, and when, you know, and when that challenge is there, you suddenly look like, well, it, actually, this is a manager that just works best when he's got limited resources. So there's some definitely good challenges coming. And I think, you know, I think Burnley fans may be excited, but let's just see what these owners want to do, first of all. Matthew, Brighton now. They're not going to like the look of Fulham having two games in hand. And with Brighton only being three points clear, it's still up for grabs, really. The question is, should Brighton have had three points at the weekend? A goal ruled out earlier, or too early for a push. Is this a scenario where a ref is too hasty and should have used VAR? Yeah, absolutely. I was talking about this at, um, at work yesterday because Mark, Mark Elsie's come out and commented on it. In that situation, I know this uh, this isn't really a VAR thing. This is one of those issues where it is the referee at fault here. You know, in, in a day and age where you can go back and refer to things, then that really should be the referee thinking, you know, just take that little extra step or that little extra second to see how the play is developing and know that you can come back you can come back and check it because, you know, whether or not it, it was a foul, I think it was probably marginal again in a, in a world where clear and obvious to overturn it, it, pr- it probably would have stayed. So I think Brian probably could argue that they were robbed, robbed in that situation. So whether or not the referee is likely to get, you know, any sort of punishment for, for that sort of decision, arguably, maybe he will, maybe he won't, but yeah, it's certainly one that Brian can, you know, look back at, you know, towards the end of the season. If they're down by one point, we'll probably look at that and it will be one of the decisions they can look back and say, right, hang on, we should have had something there. So Max, Newcastle, they were heroic in their performance against Liverpool as they earned a draw, but not the same levels against Leicester on Sunday. No win in five. Are they in danger of being dragged into a relegation battle in 2021? Um, potentially, potentially. I mean, they are eight points clear of the of the relegation zone. But then, if they carry on on the winless run uh, that they've been on, then they might easily get dragged back down into it. I think it's also um, a little bit uh, it's also a little bit unfair to judge them given the the really awful COVID um, outbreak that they had at the club and they're really kind of uh, stretched resources now. Um, and it, you know, I'm not saying they're the only team that's been affected by it. Obviously, Fulham have had a bit of an outbreak and you know other teams have got lots of injuries which means they're down to the bare bones in terms of their squad but they have um it is a consideration you know they they have really struggled um what what is annoying fans more than the fact they're kind of going on a bit of a winless run it's just the a bit of the dour style of play that that Steve Bruce brings and you know you can you can argue uh, about whether Newcastle fans deserve better they um I'm not a Newcastle fan so I, I don't <laughs> I, I don't. I can't really comment on on that. I don't think. But um, I know that I get frustrated w- watching Palace when we play really negative football and just are desperate for the nil nil or to try and sneak a one nil on the counter attack. 
um, and we were pretty horrendous in wins and in, in uh, successive losses against Burnley and Newcastle earlier in the season. But then we seem to have picked up a little bit. So, you know, th- this season's so up and down. Newcastle may just um, may just win their next couple of games once they've got all their their full complement of players back, and things will be looking a lot more positive. I hope. But then Newcastle fans, I don't think, will ever be happy with Mike Ashley in charge. And they also won't be happy given the kind of style of football that they're getting, and um, particularly when you compare it historically to the exciting football of Kevin Keegan, etc. Um, but ultimately, Newcastle are a lower to mid-table um, Premier League side, and they've got lower to mid-table Premier League players. They're not really going to finish higher than that, um, realistically. Um, so a Palace, I'm not under any illusions or anything. Um, but that is basically what you, what you're going to get with Steve Bruce in charge. You're pretty much uh, as safe as you can be from from relegation, but it's not going to be amazing to watch. Um, so Newcastle fans saying, you know, they deserve to be watching amazing football every week. I don't know if you deserve it, um, but as I, as I say, I'm not a Newcastle fan, so I can't I can't really um, I can't really talk about that too much. <laughs> well, funny you mentioned that. Now I live in Newcastle. I was at some grassroots football last Monday and I was chatting to a Newcastle fan and he said that they're under no illusions. You know, they're not battering down for top four football. You know, they are pragmatic in what they want, but they want Bruce to just have a go. If you take Man City as the example, that nine men behind the ball for most of the game, not even a shot, that's not the kind of football they deserve, they want. You know, that's where the problem is. It's really sort of, it's not even a famine. It's, you know, it's worse than that. So... It's just this kind of real negativity and not even wanting to have a go. You know, not to say that they then do a lead to get battered in the right way and lose 5-0, but it's just so much frustration. But Bruce is unwilling to bend from that. And then ultimately the the price is that most likely they will stay up, but it's just so dour that there's only so much they can take. And that that's why all these sort of protest clubs in Newcastle are so popular because people are sick of giving Mike Ashley money. But we move on because, Carl, unfortunately, Arsenal have woken up from their slumber. And let's be honest, they're not going to get relegated now, are they? Because three matches have proved that they've now got confidence under their wings once more and they're flying back up the table. Yeah, they've had three good performances, haven't they? Um, where that will give them some confidence that they, they might be starting to head in the right way. Um, and like, as you say, you know, jokingly, you know, put those fears to bed that they could be in a relegation battle come the end of the season. Um there have been some real encouraging signs with the young guys coming in, isn't there? You know, Saka looks a really good player. Um, I said it after they played us. I think Tierney is a brilliant left back um, and someone that I'd quite happily see at our club. Um, and I'd happily go and try and buy him because I think he's one of the best left backs in the league at the moment. Um, and he's been putting in some really good displays. They've brought in some young guys who seem to have given them some energy. Lacazette scoring goals. They've still got to get a Bamiyang firing. And again, you know, if they can suddenly get him scoring goals, then that's only going to help the cause. Um, some, you know, reasonable defensive displays as well. You know, we haven't seen the same players over the last three games do the, the kind of things that we know they're capable of uh, and having the kind of like head miss come down and suddenly they go and do something reckless. But... You know, like with everyone in this league, as we're saying, Dan, aren't we? That's three games. They'll be encouraged. 
they could bat to find that they bat to go on another free game run where people like Zaka do exactly the same thing and get himself sent off. They they lose a couple and before you know it again, things are not looking so rosy. But they'll definitely be encouraged by those last three performances. And you know, if they can keep that going and those young guys can keep that sort of level of performance, then they, they should get themselves back up into the top half and potentially looking at, you know, they should really be trying to fight for your Europa League place. Matthew, let's swing back up to the top of the table now. Can we honestly consider Leicester as genuine title contenders now that the results have swung back their way over the weekend? Oh, Leicester title contender. I thought you were going to say t- challenges for the for, uh, Champions League. Now no, you've no. got a title on me. Oh, that's a bit of a wit. You know what? No, I... I no, not having it. No, as much as, as much as I... As much as I want them to do... Well, not them to do well, because I'm still a bit met on the Brendan Rodgers front. Um, but as much as I want Jamie Vardy to, to do well and everything, because he's, he's a bit of a character and all that sort of stuff. As much as And and Kasper Schmeichel, I love him as well. As much as I want the players to do well, I just, I just can't see it. When, when push comes to shove, and again, still in Europe, which will be a drain on resources, I just can't see them outlasting the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City and to an extent Chelsea and to an extent Spurs. I just can't see there being that many teams you know, f- you know falling apart in order to in order to give them a, t- a title challenge. You know, something for the top 4 I reckon they're probably an outside shout. For the title, no, I just I just don't think they're I just don't think they're going to do it again. Although I'm pretty sure everyone's still saying this around January time of 2016. So expect this to come back and bite me on the backside. <laughs> okay, duly noted. Let's stay in the Midlands, Max, because Wolves, no winning four. Now, whether this is a direct consequence of no Raul Jimenez can be argued, but it kind of looks that way. The window is open. How will they act? That's a tricky one. That's a tricky one because I've heard that they're keen to get... Um... Patrick Cutrone, the, the the striker who's on loan at Fiorentina, I think, back. But they're just going to loan him straight back out again. Obviously, they rate um, they, they rate the, the the teenager Fabio Silva quite highly as as a promising talent, but he's probably not ready to contribute uh, meaningfully to you know or regularly to Premier League games. Um, so I think they're just going to have to keep making do. Um, at the moment, until until they buy a striker, you know they've tried Traore up front. Obviously, the attacking midfielders they have are really talented. So you know, um, Neto, Pedro Neto, what a fantastic player! What a fantastic player! Too many people are sleeping on Pedro Neto, but I'm getting a bit sidetracked. I love Pedro Neto. What a player! Unbelievable. Um, he's going to be uh, at a bigger club very very soon. Love him. Love him. Um, <laughs> Traore and, and Pedenza are obviously really good players as well, and we, we've seen that they've. They've basically um, they they were previously playing like five at the back and then um, three in midfield and then two kind of up front and 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 that kind of thing and they've actually switched um, from five at the back to four at the back recently a little bit they've been toying with that formation just to put an extra attacking midfielder on or you know to put Neto or Traore up front rather than out wide um, but obviously January is a very tricky window to do to do deals in striker is the hardest position uh, to do that in. And given that you are an established Premier League club, you know, you've got a reasonable amount of money, you know, that they're not Burnley and that they're looking to do a deal uh, for a striker in January and their number one striker is injured and they're desperate. It's just going to be so, so difficult to do a deal. Um, So I think they're just going to cross their fingers and hope and pray that Jimenez is back quite soon. I can't see them really bringing in someone really, really good. 
uh, something I have heard banded about is a potential loan for Divock Origi. And that would seem to make sense because uh, Liverpool um, would, would get him off their books, at least temporarily, um, when he's not contributing there. Wolves would get someone to be a bit of a placeholder until Jimenez comes back. And obviously Origi would get a bit of playing time before the European Championships set for this summer. You know, he's going to try and get in um, the Belgian team, although that might be quite difficult now that Christian Benteke seems to have found his shooting boots for the first time in five years. Um, but yeah, potentially Origi or, or another loan or something like that. But I, can't, I really, really can't see them um, splashing out massively on a striker. Right, it's the quick fire round. We've got five minutes left. Max, I'll swing back to you. In 90 seconds, can you sum up Crystal Palace's festive period? Uh, middling old, is, is how I'd describe it in one word. It's, it's been a little bit up and down. Um, we, we have been better in attack in recent weeks. Um, Mitchell's come back in at left-back, the, the, the 21-year-old, and he looks so, so much more solid than Patrick Van Aanholt. And I get it. Van Aanholt's a really good, um, a really good attacking player. Um, he's done... And, and, and he's really helped us out of a few holes in the last couple of years. But Mitchell is so much more solid defensively. We almost kept a clean sheet against Leicester before a late goal. We did against Sheffield United. Eze's goal against Sheffield United, unbelievable. Give the man a medal. Give him a knighthood. What a player. Going to be a Palace player for the next um, 10 years, I really hope. And yeah, things are looking a bit more positive than um, when we just lost a couple of games on the bounce uh, a few weeks ago. Lovely stuff. Matthew, to you now. I just need to see, say one word. That is kazoo. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Um, where are we with kazoo? We haven't had any kazoo over Christmas and there's been no goals. Coincidence? I think not. No, it, it hasn't been the case. I know it's, and, and I know it's um, I was listening to I was listening to the commentators and they say, you know, it's been five games since he last scored a goal or something. And I just happened to notice <laughs> that we've been off the air for five weeks. I mean, whether or not this is actual science or not, and whether or not this... I have no idea who Everton have got in the FA Cup this weekend, if I've just doomed their opponents to defeat by, by default. Um, yeah, it, it's been fascinating. You know, Everton have been OK over Christmas, but there is still there is still that one little thing. They are probably relying too much, you could argue, on Dominic, on Dominic Albert-Lewin. Um to get to get them the goals, so the, the lack of kazoo has probably hindered them. I just want to say, what's happened to James Rodriguez? He was like the star of the season yeah, at the start at the start of the campaign, and everyone saying, "Oh, he could be one of the all-time Premier League great." Is it just me, or have I not heard his name mentioned in the past three weeks? He's gone off a cliff. It's a very good shout. Uh, yeah, AWOL. So we have to look into that. But yeah, absolutely right. He's gone very cold. Cole, I'll throw Leeds to you now. Now we spoke about Spurs in detail last night. So, just want to focus on Leeds very quickly, because the way BT Sport were purring on, you would have thought prime Barcelona come to town. So, to give them their due, as a mid-table team, they've scored 30 and conceded 33. That's almost staggering. Yeah, and I think that's the problem, isn't it? You know, we saw this weekend, you know, yes, they can play some really good football going forward, and they will score goals, you know, they'll definitely score goals. The biggest problem is they kind of commit defensive suicide at the other end, don't they? And they let teams score a lot of goals against them. Um, now, yes, it's great to win the odd game 5-4 here and there and play some really good football. But at some point, you've got to say that we'll need to come a point where we kind of shut the, the door at the back and make sure that it's all very and good playing expansive football with fullbacks bombing forward and making runs. But at the same time, if we're letting four in and freeze in, that's, you know, we can't keep going that way because eventually you'll lose more than you win um, and you'll start stumbling down. 
I think they're going to be okay this season. You know, I, I think they'll kind of stay roughly where they are. You know, I don't see them troubling that top six or seven because of the fact they let go so many in. Um, but attacking football, they're great to watch. You know, it, it is good football. You know, yes, you can give them plaudits for, you know, it doesn't matter if they're free down or something, they'll still try to come at you. I think their issue is just making sure that they don't go free down and that attacking football is also kind of balanced with some de- proper, sensible defensive play. Um, you know, I think we saw things like Ailing, I think, gave the ball away maybe three times against us on the edge of the box. And, you know, oh, yeah, look, it's great. You know, Bielsa isn't, you know, giving him a telling off and rollicking him. And that way he'll keep trying those sort of passes. Well, unfortunately, you know, the 33 goals against is why maybe that player sometimes shouldn't be playing those sorts of balls across. And you might need to rectify that. Um, I think it'll be an exciting season for them. Um, and I think, you know, they're going to have to look to build on on what they've got they're going in the right direction now, I think, you know, if they can keep that football and maybe, you know, bring in some better players here and there, especially defensively, then you'd say, well, it could be exciting for Leeds. Yeah, they'll be fine because they've just got so many goals. They won't do much in terms of moving up the table, I don't think, but season one, then there'll be no arguments really. And I think at least it's been entertaining for everyone else. Right, we really have hit full time. Apologies if you're a West Ham or Villa fan because we haven't squeezed you in. If you're a Spurs fan, you can listen to me and Carl Wax Lyrical about Tottenham and mop up Christmas on the Coming You Spurs podcast. The admin is as simple as thanking my three great guests. So where are we? Max, a sterling performance and thanks for getting match fit this afternoon. Yeah, thanks very much. Sorry it took me so long to tie my bootlaces up. That's not a problem, mate. Matthew, same to you also, my friend. A pleasure as always. Yep, no problem. At least I turned up, unlike Fulham. <laughs> oh, very nice. And Carl, the captain's armband is going nowhere. I hope you'll join me next Tuesday. Yeah, definitely really enjoyed this one. You know, blow off all that turkey and booze. So I think we'll be, you know, even fitter next week. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. And also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.